Amen. I want you to go ahead and turn in your Bibles or navigate on your, your phones to Mark chapter 10. Uh, Mark chapter 10, we're going to be there this morning. and uh, So go ahead and get there. But before we, we get to that, um, I want to I do something real, real quick. And, and actually, I don't think I see their car here. Uh, Caroline Price's car is not here, I don't believe. Okay, cool. Um, and so many of you know, I'll just share this. She's probably watching online or will be watching online. I think we had to cut our live feed. I think we had some internet issues. And so we're going to bring it back a little bit later. Uh, this evening uh, at 7 p.m. So if you know anybody that would want to watch this or, or watch this back again at 7, or if you want to watch it back again and experience all of this one more time, uh, that'll be at 7 o'clock tonight. Um, uh, but so so Caroline's, Caroline's at home. I think she's planning to be live streamed today. But uh, many of you know Caroline, uh, her husband, Andrew, and, and their little one, Magnolia. And, um, and so uh, they've been coming to Legacy City for about a, a little over a year and a half now. I think they started coming during our, our first at the movie series. And, um, and then for the last eight months, Caroline has jumped in and been our Four Greenwood intern. And she's really just done an incredible job uh, stepping into a really, really big role and helping balance out our Four Greenwood initiative um, in, a, in, a, in a really substantial way. And and she's done such a great job that we kind of knew that we wanted to invite her to come on staff permanently uh, when her internship ended uh, at the end of May. But it so happened that God had already been orchestrating things in sort of a very cool way. So our host team director, uh, Avonlea, let us know a few months back of her family's plans to move to Atlanta uh, at the end of May. And so we knew that that was coming and we started to, uh, to, to pray about and look and seek and who might fill that role as, as host team director. And eventually, after long talks and much prayer with Caroline, uh, we feel that we have found that person. And so effective tomorrow, uh, she's not here right now, but let's give her some honks so she can hear it. Uh, we're going to welcome our new host team director. Awesome. We want to welcome our new host team director. I know that she's going to do an incredible job, and I can't wait to see how God uh, uses her in this new role. Um, Avonlea has held this role from the very beginning and has also done an amazing job organizing teams and creating a very welcoming environment in the lobby that we currently can't use because we're here. Um, but she's done such an incredible job for the, uh, of that. And so we're so thankful for her and how she's really poured into this church over the last few years. Um, she's handing off a great team and a great foundation for Caroline to build on. So let's also hear it for Avonlea. She's up here somewhere or over there. She's over there. She waved and smiled. She saw you guys and, and felt the love, so that's awesome. Uh, I think God has just blessed us as a church with such uh, a great team, a really great staff. Um, all of these men and women, they have other jobs, they have other responsibilities, they have families, and yet they carve out time uh, to serve our city and to serve our church. And I'm just thankful to serve and to do ministry alongside these amazing people. And so uh, everyone should drop them a Facebook message or a letter or a gift card or whatever. Just drop them something and let them know. Uh, give, them, give them some form of encouragement. Let them know that you appreciate what they do. We love our staff and we're, uh, we'll, we'll do a, we'll do a, we'll, we're sad to see Avonlea go and we'll, we'll talk about that when that happens. We're in denial right now, but, uh, but we're really excited for Caroline to come on board uh, in a more permanent, substantial way. And so Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Hopefully you're there. Um, we're going to be reading just a few verses, then we'll go back and talk about it. Uh, and that's kind of what we'll do um, this, this morning. I keep stepping forward so I can see you because I know the light's hitting me right here. 
maybe not so much right here, but also I can't see my notes if I'm up there. So I've got a, uh, the, the glare is coming in pretty strong. So let me read this. All right, here we go. We're going to start in verse 17, and we're going to read through uh, to about verse 22. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not, do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to them, Teacher, all of these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened, verse 22, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. I really want to preach uh, to you this morning from this passage, and if you're taking notes, the title of the sermon today is More Than Pants. More Than Pants. I know that sounds weird, and we'll, we'll come back around to that toward the end. Uh, but, but the title is More Than Pants, if you want to jot that down. And, and I believe this is going to encourage you this morning. And, and so here's what I want to say. I want us to pray. I know we've already prayed a lot, but, but we can't pray too much. And so I want to pray for the Word of God to penetrate our, our souls and our spirits here this morning and to really uh, just begin to teach us something. We want the Spirit of God to teach us something here in this place. And so would you pray, pray with me as we uh, learn from God's Word? God, we thank you so much that you brought us here today. This beautiful sunshine, this beautiful day, this beautiful weather. And God, you brought your beautiful church together in this place, in the midst of everything going on. And we're so thankful for that, God. And we, we're so thankful we, we, we can put all of our faith and our hope and our love and our trust into you. Lord, thank you for your sacrifice that provides a hope for our future. That you already paid the price for us. And so, Lord, uh, today we inhale your grace so that we might exhale faith. God, speak to your people. Change us from the inside out. Make us new. We love you. We praise you. And if you believe it, all of God's people gave a horn hawk of praise. Amen. Or a shout of praise if you're on your couches watching at home. I've discovered something over the years. In my dealings with people in various contexts, I've, I've discovered um, a lot of things, really. Uh, and, and, and I think the longer you're alive, the more you discover, and that's just the natural way it goes. But specifically, whether it be an employee or as a boss, whether it be in romantic relationships or in plutonic friendships, whether it be in business transactions or some other arena of life, I've discovered how easy it is to overestimate people, how very, very simple it is to overestimate people. Like, like sometimes we assume something about someone only to discover, usually too late, usually, you know what I'm talking about, usually too late, how far off from reality that expectation, you know, really was. And so this is why, you know, they tell us, I don't know who they is, but the proverbial they tell us to never meet your heroes, right? They always tell you never meet your hero because what? They're not going to live up to the hype, right? You're going to meet them, and you're going to be like, wow, they're not that great, right? They're, or maybe, maybe, maybe you meet them, 
and they're completely different than you thought they were. They're a completely different person, and they have different values than they actually, you know, put out in front for everybody to see. And so they tell you, don't meet your heroes because you build them up into something they aren't, and when you meet them, you overestimate them, and then when you meet them, they can't live up to what you've made them up to be in your head. And then what happens? We end up feeling disappointed. Right? Emotionally depleted. I can't believe it. I've put all of this love, all of this attention, I've given all of this, this thought to this person or you know, these people or this thing, and then, and then here it is right in front of me, and it's, it's not right. It's not, it's not what I thought it would be. I've overestimated them, and, and now it's, it's kind of rough, right? I'm kind of, I'm kind of emotionally depleted. You know, this is a huge issue in marriages, and, and particularly, I think, why we see so many divorces I've I've done a lot of uh, marriage, a lot of weddings, a lot of marriage ceremonies over the last you know year or two, and 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 one of the first things that I talk about in our premarital mentoring, we have all of every you know everybody that I do a wedding for, I always have them go through this premarital mentoring because I think it's very important that we talk about some stuff before. Uh, before we actually go through with the ceremony and, and make that covenant before God. And so one of the things that we talk about right away is expectations, right? Because we all have these expectations of what marriage is going to be like and what our partner is going to be like and how they're going to act and, and, and how, how we're going to be. And, and, and we have this idea of all these things. And, and so uh, one of the things that we talk about is, hey, don't, don't overestimate your partner. Don't build them up into something that they aren't because it's not fair to them and, and you're likely to be disappointed, and so I want you to think about this with me, church. When we're let down, when somebody lets us down, when something doesn't go right, when something doesn't go the way we planned or the way we thought it would be, when we overestimated something, then what happens after that? What do we, what do, we do? Oftentimes we decide to what? Play it safe the next time, right? We kind of have this self-defense mechanism that we put up whenever we find ourselves uh, being disappointed or let down. And, and what do we do in order to defend ourselves in those moments? We choose to lower the standards. Well, I'm not going to let that happen to me again. That was scary when I overestimated that person and they let me down. So never again am I going to do that, right? That's kind of how we respond and that's the way we, we come across. We decide that we don't want to go through that again. And so instead of overestimating people, we subconsciously or maybe consciously decide to underestimate them. This is, this is another thing. I think this happens in the church specifically is that many people, they take the failures of the world and they project them onto a perfect God. What happens is that we end up underestimating Jesus, underestimating the gospel. We underestimate who Jesus is and how powerful and perfect his grace is. And in doing that, we actually start to erode and undermine what it is that Jesus came to do. And listen to me, church, underestimating Jesus's message might ultimately be worse than missing his message. And, and, so, and so for many of us here at the drive-in today, watching at home online, what has happened to us is, is this. Because the world has let us down, the world has failed us in some way, the world has, has, has let us down, we have now begun to live our lives in a small way. Not exercising our faith. Not, not trusting in, in Jesus and who he is and what he's done. Instead, putting God into a box and, and compartmentalizing him into our little perspective and our little paradigm and our little situation. 
we, we, we can think that we understand God and know all about the gospel when actually we've settled for a life far short of what God actually intended for it to be. You know, the tragedy in 2020 is not that people don't think about Jesus. No, I, I actually think the great tragedy in 2020 is that people don't think enough of Jesus. And I came here to remind somebody today that you serve a God that is bigger than anything you could ever think or imagine. Okay, it is impossible to overestimate his supremacy, his centrality, and his sufficiency. He is a great God. Come on, if you believe that he's a great and amazing God, could you give him some praise this morning? Because he is. He's bigger than you're probably giving him credit for right now. He is a great God, and we can never overestimate him, but we can underestimate him. And I do believe that this is laid out for us in this passage in Mark chapter 10. Such a beautiful way, and, and, and I want us to walk through it for just a few moments, and I want us to write some things down, maybe in your notepad or on your phone, or, or maybe you can just write some things down on, on your heart today, because I think if you can shift your perspective a little bit, you can leave here today understanding and knowing Jesus in a far greater way. So Mark chapter 10 tells the story about this guy that's often, uh, he's simply just defined by his name, or sorry, by his status and not his name. He's simply defined by, by what he is, not who he is. Um, and and he's, he, we're, we're told about more of his position in life than his, the person of, of who he is. And, and so he's known as the rich young ruler. He's rich, he's wealthy, right? We know that. He's young, okay? Uh, he's, and he's powerful. So by the world standards, that means he's doing pretty dang good. Right? He's got money in the bank. He's on the right side of 30. Right? He's doing, he's doing all right. He's got, he's got power and he's got authority. Yet, even with all the money in the world and all the stuff in the world, it will not quench the questions of your heart. And that's what we see in this passage. He goes to bed at night like so many of us, lays down his head, and like so many of us, he starts to wonder these questions, these, these just age-old, time-old questions, and he starts to have, he, he, he looks like he has it all together. He's got all the stuff. He's got the, he's got the looks, and he's got the, he's got the money, and he's got the stuff, and he's got the power, and he's, he's got everything. But when he lays down at night, he's kind of hollow. Like, like at his core, it's, it's brittle, and it's, and it's weak. And we know this is true, church. People are projecting one thing, but on the inside, they're missing something. They're missing something. And he lays down his head on his pillow at night, and he, he just goes, why am I not satisfied? Why? I have everything. Why am I not fulfilled? Why does it always feel like something is missing for me? L let me just ask you this. Have you ever been seduced by success? <clears throat> have, you ever, have you ever began to believe the lie of this world that there is this mystical magical position in life that you can reach that 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 whenever whenever you reach it whenever you finally get there you're going to find contentment like at this certain point you'll you'll have arrived let me make it easy and just tell you there's this thing on the inside of you that money won't fill the world won't 
fill. Prestige won't fill. Because here's the thing, church. Contentment is not found in a place or position. Contentment is found in a person, and that person has a name, and his name is Jesus Christ, and he's the friend of sinners, and only God can fill that God-shaped hole inside of you. And, and so this is, this is our guy, right? He, he's us sometimes. He's us sometimes. And so the Bible says in Mark chapter 10 that one day, Jesus is, is he's passing through, and, and this rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus, and he, and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He has this question that needs answering. And now, before we jump into the text, and before we really get into this, it's important that you read all the angles of the text, because you, as you will see, and, and if you really examine it, what you'll see in Mark chapter 10 is you discover something about this man's approach towards Jesus. Okay, pa- Pastor, what do you mean? Well, the way you approach someone indicates how you perceive that person. Does that make sense for you? Like, like so for instance, you, you, you approach uh, people differently based on how you perceive them. And, and so, for instance, uh, you're going to probably approach your boss differently than you approach your fellow co-workers, right? You're going to come up to your boss a little bit differently than you approach your, your fellow co-workers. Let's get a, a better analogy uh, for you to, to help some people for a minute. You probably, or hopefully, hopefully, approach your spouse differently than the way that you approach your buddies or, or your besties or whatever you, you call your friends. Like, I'm going to approach my friends that I golf with or, or a group of pastors that I spend time with differently than Jen, my wife. Why? Because I perceive them differently. And, and here's what I want you to kind of get in your spirit right now. The way you perceive someone will dictate how you receive from that person. The way you perceive them will actually dictate how you receive from them. And so in, in Mark chapter 10... When this rich young ruler who has this question on his heart, this, this common cosmic question, by the way, that all of us deal with, which is, why am I on earth? What, what's, what's the afterlife about? Where am I going after all this? I'm striving and I'm putting in all this effort on earth and does it even matter? Right? This is his question. This is essentially what he's talking about, what he's thinking about. When he, when he comes and he approaches Jesus, we see a whole lot by, by the way he perceives Jesus based on his approach. He comes up to him and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And now before I get into this and before you, you get me wrong, Jesus is good. And he is a teacher. And he is a good teacher, if you want to put that together. But how many of you know that he's so much more than a good teacher? See, this man, based on his approach, perceived Jesus to simply be a rabbi. Now, now rabbis in this day and age, they were all over the place. They were, they were, they were common. They were going around and they were teaching and they they were they were they were going they were talking to different people and 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 rabbis this is just a, a fun fact and something that we we don't do today as uh, as Christians or, or pastors or anything like that, rabbis have memorized, usually, the entire Torah. All right, The Torah is the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And so they had memorized the whole thing. They, they knew it by heart. 
And, and so here's what happened. Uh, they, they, they memorized it. They spent their whole life interpreting the scripture. So people would come to them with their questions about life. And people would approach them. And, and, and they, would, they would hear out these questions. And then they, would, uh, then they would look at the scriptures. And they would read the scriptures. Or they would you know, recall the scriptures. They would interpret the scriptures. And then apply them to everyday life. And so this man, he's coming to Jesus going, hey, Jesus, I know you're a good rabbi. And I know I can, I, I know I can get some answers from you about, uh, about some of life's questions because you're a good teacher. Can you tell me what I have to do right now to inherit eternal life? And the problem with this approach is that, yes, Jesus is a good teacher, and yes, he is a, a rabbi, but, but, but church, he's so much more than that. Jesus isn't just some rabbi. He's the son of God, all right? He's the savior of the world. He's God in the flesh, yet here comes the point of contention for so many people because so many people go, yeah, I'm down with Jesus. I, I know that he was a good guy and, and he, he existed and he was a great guy. He was a good guy and he, he did all these things. And, 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 and listen, uh, he was a good teacher and he might have even been a prophet, but I don't believe him to be God. And listen, everyone is entitled to their own opinion. However, you have to understand that when it comes to Jesus, you can't have him both ways. Right? He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. He's either Lord of everything or he's not Lord of anything. And, and so this guy, he's not getting it. He doesn't understand it. He's approaching Jesus incorrectly. And, and so re, this is what happens. He's a good teacher. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I think this is, this is us sometimes, right? Like the the world is so fixated on what they must do. What do I have to do? Five ways to get ripped abs in 10 weeks. 10 ways to lose weight. Seven ways to have a better intimate, you know, intimacy with your, with your spouse. Like we look at all the, we want to know all these ways, and we want to we want to know the steps and the methods and the procedures, and we want to go through it step by step. And and this is us. We're we're him, in, in some ways. Tell me what I have to do to make sure I'm good. And we look at God like like there's some formula that like there's some cosmic formula that we can we can follow to get to the Lord. I mean, some of you out there right now, you're like, all right, I hear you, Pastor. Just give me the three points so we can get out of here. Well, you're, you're proving my point. You, you just want those points. You want to write them down, and you want to look at them, and you want to know that they're there, and then you want to, you want to move on. What's the three-step plan to God? I want church, listen to me. There's no formula. There's no three-step plan. There's no five-step plan. There's no seven-step plan. There's nothing that you can do in any amount of time. There is a person. There is a man, and his name is Jesus. And listen to me. If there was a formula, we wouldn't need Jesus. Jesus is a one-stop shop. He's, he, he, if he's not the answer to everything, then he can't be the answer to anything. He's God. And so this man, he just he, he sees Jesus, and, and he approaches Jesus, and he perceives Jesus to be a good teacher, to be a rabbi. And notice what Jesus says back to him in the response. I love this. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except for God alone. 
Now, there are some who would take this verse and, and maybe try to twist this verse and use this verse to, uh, to say that, that Jesus is actually saying right here that he, is not, that he is not God. He's telling the world that he's not God, and actually, it's the complete opposite. He said, if you're calling me good, don't you know that only God and God alone is good? And so if you think I'm good, you must be thinking I'm God. And if I'm God, then you need to address me in the right way. Come on, somebody. Like, he's, he's telling him. He's giving him the clues. He's giving him the hints right here. If I'm God, then address me in the right way. And so watch what Jesus does. Jesus looks at the man. This is a key line because you, you know the commandments. You, you know what they are. And, and, and so what he does is he starts going through this list of all the do's and don'ts. Uh, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not lie. Do not dishonor your mother and father. And, and now watch the response from the man. The man says, oh, but Jesus, I've been doing all of these things since I was a young boy. I'm good, Jesus. This guy's doing good. He is he is doing great. He's been keeping those commandments since 20 AD, and he is doing good. Never broke one of them. I'm good, Jesus. Can you imagine approaching Jesus Christ? Perfection. Savior. Lord. King of kings. Having a conversation with him. And you have a chance to, to bear yourself before him, and instead you say, I'm good. We do that all, we do that all the time. You know, somebody's asking for prayer requests. You, know, you got any prayer requests today? Anything that, we, anything that we can pray for? I'm good. Are, are you really good? You, you got it all covered? You're taken care of? No, no sins, no struggles, no fears, no doubts? You're good. Now, it's, it's one thing when we say it to each other. Our boy's saying it to, to God. Our boy's saying it to Jesus. He's saying, I'm good, Jesus. I know all those commandments, and I've been doing every one of them well. I'm good. You know, the Bible says that the law, which is really the Old Testament, it's, it's the beginning of, of like this entire book that we call the Bible. The, the law, the Bible says, is like a mirror. And, and when you look into a mirror, it always tells you the truth, right? I mean, some of you might buy some weird mirrors that maybe hide some of your blemishes, but mirrors always tell the truth. It, it, when, when you look into the mirror, ultimately, you, you see what's real, and you see what's, what's, what's right in front of you. And ultimately, when you look into the mirror called the law, what happens is you compare yourself to God's law. And, and, and what you discover is you see every, every wrinkle, you see every defect, you see, you see, every, you see re the receding hairline, you see everything when you look into the law, when you look into the mirror that is the law, but because us, compared to a perfect God, listen to me church, we will always show every imperfection, every issue, every challenge, the law never quits making demands. I'm good, Jesus. I've been doing this since I was a young boy. He, clear, he wasn't seeing clearly. Really? Jesus says, okay. Well, did I mention there's one more thing that you could do? And I like to think in this moment, maybe the rich young ruler was, was shocked by this. 
you know, okay, okay, Jesus, well, I mean, I've been doing everything properly. I've been following all the rules. I've been going through all the steps, and I've been doing all the things for so long. But, okay, so you're, you're telling me there's something else I was supposed to do. You're telling me there's, there's one more thing, but, but he shouldn't have been. I don't know if he was shocked by this or not. The scripture doesn't really tell us, but he shouldn't have been. Because when, when you're trying to live up to a standard, trying to match the law of God, you're never going to make it. It's impossible for us. But Jesus made a way, praise God. Jesus says, I want you to go, and I want you to sell all of your houses. I want you to empty your bank accounts. I want you to sell everything you have and then give all of your money, everything you own, to the poor. And then come and follow me. And the Bible says that in this moment, the man walked away, hanging his head, because he had a lot of money, and he didn't want to do that. There's always more to do when you view life through the law. And so here's, here's the challenge of this. We look at him, and we think of him as a sinner. We think of him as somebody who is just greedy and couldn't let go of what he had. But, but here's the challenge of this. Sin doesn't make you bad. Sin makes you dead. And, and so here's what I want you to do. Imagine for a minute that you were drowning, and, and you didn't know how to swim. And you're shouting help at the top of your lungs. And I hear you yelling help. And so what I do is I do something very helpful. I throw you a swimmer's manual. I, have a, I don't know why I would have a swimmer's manual, but out of my pocket, I produce a swimmer's manual and I throw it right out to you. So that way you can have the exact method by which you learn how to swim. And that would help you, kind of. Or you know what, it's, let's get a little bit more modern. Maybe instead I shout out to you the YouTube link so that you know how to, how to find on YouTube how to learn how to swim. That's no good, right? You're drowning and you don't know how to swim. You don't need a swimmer's manual. You need a savior. You need somebody to rescue you. You need somebody to do for you what you can't do for yourself. I still vividly remember this one time when I was a kid, um, probably, I don't know, six or maybe seven years old, and, and, um, and we were at the beach, and, and, and I didn't know how to swim yet. I, I was kind of a late learner on, on learning how to swim, but I love the water. And, and so I was in the waves, and, and my dad picks me up and starts swinging me around, and, and this was fun. This was great. Everything was good. Uh, but then he decided to throw me into the water. Now, before you start hating on my pops, I'm, I'm pretty sure uh, he, he was, like, right there the whole time, and I'm also pretty sure that we were in, like, knee-height water, okay? So it, it wasn't as bad as it felt in the moment, but, but he tosses me in the water, and, 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 and I remember, I remember I, as I just, like, hit the water, and I felt the waves crashing over me. I started to panic, and I started to thrash around, and, and, and I, was, I was scared, and I needed, so, I needed somebody to help me. And, and if my dad was giving me instructions, I don't know if he was or not, but if he was, I couldn't have heard them because I was going crazy and I was drowning in the moment. His words were not going to help me. I needed someone to save me. And of course he did. He, he scooped me back up. And this is a picture of what so many people in 2020 look like because we come to church and we still think that Jesus is a supplement to our lives. Friend, I want you to hear me. He's not a supplement to your life. He's the savior of your life. And, and, and the only way that you're going to be rescued is when you receive his help. 
when you receive his grace, is when you receive all that he has to offer you. And when you understand that you can't swim, he's going to swim for you. Come on, somebody. Are you with me this morning? We have one. There it is. Just want to make sure you're still there. He says, Jesus, I've been keeping these commands since I was a young boy. It's a classic religious response, right? Because religion will always make you proud of yourself, while the gospel will always make you proud of Jesus. Amen. See, see, I want you to listen to me, church. This is fundamental. This is just basic right here. You can't go to Jesus until you quit going to yourself. And I want us to be a church that when we leave here, we don't leave here alone. We don't go out of here saying, I'm good on my own. I've got my three-step process. I'm good. I want you to leave and say that you're good because of his grace, because he forgave me, because he loved me, because he extended his mercy toward me. He accepted me. That's not the way the rich young ruler leaves this conversation. Hey, good teacher, how do I receive and inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Only God is good. That's who I am. That's I'm God, that's how you should address me. You know the commandments, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Well, I've been doing that since I was a young boy. I'm good. No, but there's more to do. It's kind of how this plays out. It's funny, because I didn't really grow up in church, and, um, and so, but I do remember hearing this story taught at, like, church camps and different things, and I would hear this passage preached at at youth camp, and when the invitation was made, uh, who's ready to sell everything and follow Jesus? I remember that kind of being the, the mantra and the idea behind it. Who's ready to sell everything and follow Jesus? And now I would, I would go, and I would run to the altar, and I would kneel down, and I would weep, and I would make promises to the Lord. And then I'd walk out of there, and I'd not sell anything. And that always bothered me as a teenager. But later, I started to wonder if there's more to the story. Listen, there's no doubt if you, if you read this, of course, that Jesus is talking about greed. Right? Jesus will challenge greed. Jesus is talking about greed here. Absolutely. Like the world that we live in in America 2020, listen, you don't have to be rich to be greedy. Some of the poorest people I know are also greedy. This is, this is actually not a message about stuff. Nothing's wrong with having stuff. What's wrong is when stuff has you, amen? And so there's no doubt that Jesus is teaching about greed, but I think that there's a deeper message going on here. See, this man, he approached Jesus, and, and the way that he approached Jesus indicated how he perceived Jesus. He saw him as a supplement. He saw Jesus as a, as a good teacher. He saw Jesus as having good advice. He saw Jesus as three principles to live by. He sought Jesus as a rabbi, and because he perceived him as a rabbi, he received the rabbi answer. You understand, the rabbi answer would have been, you've got to do more, because the law never stops making demands. The law is full of demand, but grace is full of supply. Church, I believe that if this man had approached Jesus properly, I believe that like every other encounter in the New Testament, Jesus would have been rich in mercy, and he would have extended grace. I believe that this man came with a religious heart saying, what do I need to do? What can I do? You're a good teacher. Speak to me. Give me some good advice. And so Jesus said, okay, cool. If that's how you see me, here's some good advice. Quit doing this. Do more of that. That will make you morally decent. That will make you more awesome. 
in society. That will help your perception, how people look at you. But had this man come and fallen on his knees and said, you are the son of God, I need to be rescued right now. I need to be saved right now. Only you and you alone can give me strength and give me eternal life. I believe Jesus Christ would have given him the mercy right there on the spot. You do need to understand, church, that that if this man had sold everything and followed Jesus, he still would have had to do more because God is perfect and we are imperfect. All I want our church to get is this. The law is not bad. The law is good. But the law was designed to point us to Jesus. And that's why the Bible says in verse 21 that Jesus looked at the man and loved the man. See, if you read that verse out of context, it seems bizarre. How could he love this man but then give him such a harsh answer? He gave him the harsh answer because the law is meant to be a burden on your back. And the whole point of this message is is whatever is going to drive you to your knees to ask for mercy. If that's the law, so be it. Or you can make a decision and a choice to recognize who Jesus is and you can fall onto your knees and say, I am no match for the law. You can cry out and say, I can't do it on my own. If you're here today or you're listening online and the pressure of this this world and the pressure of religion is overwhelming, I want to encourage you. Here's the good news. Because Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And he did it just for you. You see this man in in Mark chapter 10, he was guilty of greed, yes. But he's guilty of a greater crime, and a greater crime is that he simply underestimated who Jesus was. I don't know what happened to him in his life. Maybe he had overestimated some stuff earlier in life. Maybe it was a project, maybe it was a person. That thing disappointed him, and he said, all right, now I'm in control. I'm just gonna lower my standards so I can make sure that my heart doesn't get hurt again. And maybe you're joining us today, and maybe... Today, you have just underestimated Jesus. Jesus is just the thing I do on Sunday. Jesus, you can have an hour and 20 minutes on Sunday morning. That's all you get of my life. But then I got to get back to real business. You're underestimating him. You're, you're, You're reducing his message. You're putting him into a box. Listen to me. He's not a supplement. He's a savior. And here's, here's what I want to do. I want to end with this illustration. I said I was going to explain the title of the message. Here it is. There, there's a story about a missionary named Charles Greenway. And, and in the 1950s, uh, he decided that he was going to take his whole family and move them to a remote part of the Congo jungle in Africa. And his mission was to spread the gospel. And you can imagine that area Uh, At that time, it was a remote tribal village. Most of the people, they would wake up every day living in huts, doing life completely naked. And on one occasion, they were having a church service, and Charles Greenway had some of his friends from America. They came. They wanted to see what was up with the mission and how things were going. And so they came uh, to visit, and they came to the church service. And on that Sunday, the men from the village attended the church service in their typical Sunday attire, which was essentially nothing on bottom or at least nothing that covered the bare essentials in the eyes of the Americans. And so immediately following the service, they approached Charles in in, in righteous indignation, mind you. And they said, Charles, this isn't right. This is embarrassing. 
How can you let these men worship like this? And Charles's answer was simple, yet so profound. Here's what Charles said, because I don't want Jesus reduced to a pair of pants. Church, last time I checked, he's more than pants. He's bigger than our good deeds. He's bigger than our bad deeds. He's more than we ever dreamed. We cannot reduce the message of Jesus to a behavioral modification. He's more than that. He's more than just morality. He didn't come just to provide good teaching, good doctrine, and good morals. He came to be our Lord and our Savior to give us life. Yes, our behavior will change as we follow Jesus, but it will never be a result of self-effort or self-condemnation. It will be a result of grace and power and love. We cannot overestimate him, church. We cannot exaggerate his love. I want us to be a church who continually attempts to overestimate Jesus. Always. I'm telling you what, it's impossible. Listen to me. I, I just, I refuse to play church. I, re, I refuse to simply just build a program here in Greenwood. If you want a program, there are plenty of other great places that do way better programs. I'm not giving my life for a program. I'm not giving my life for a Sunday gathering. I'm giving my life because Jesus is, was, was dead and I was dead in my sin. And Jesus came and he died and he rose again and he saved me. Jesus is the friend of sinners and he brought me back. He took the burden off my back and he paid the price. And today I'm forgiven. I'm a child of God and he has the most powerful name in the universe. Somebody shout Jesus here at the drive-in. Somebody shout Jesus from your, from your couch at home and let's praise his name this morning.